Well, how are you tonight? Cool. Yes, you guys over there have some breeze going your way, and that is pleasant. Um, how many were here last night? Is there anybody that wasn't here last night here tonight? All right, my apologies to you, but we're going to begin tonight. Woohoo! That's right. We're going to begin tonight where we left off last night because there's a paradigm shift that I believe God wants each of us to move through this week. Yes. Does anyone need a handout? We went and copied off some more. There's extra ones too. Let all that get settled. Anyone else need one? Other side of the room. Thank you so much for doing that, running and making extras. Well, you guys know about that. We don't have any anyway. We may by Friday, right? Oh, Carl has just announced they're no longer going to carry my book in the ABC. No, which is good for me. All right, by Friday. They're hoping for by Friday, so keep your fingers crossed, and we'll continue to pray that that happens. Um, tell me, brothers and sisters, tonight, tell me where the lights are turned on in this room. Are you sure? You should know better by now. Is that your final answer? Yes, they're actually turned on at the power company. Because what is the power company's primary chief desire? To make money, that's right. And so they have made sure that everyone they possibly can, they have literally turned on everything in your house. I want you to imagine for a moment what life would be like in your homes if no one had ever invented an on or off switch. Would your appliances be on or off if there were no switches? On, because the electric company's concern is that, that that little dial on your electric meter be running. So what is the purpose of the switch on the wall? To give you the freedom to turn it off if you should so choose. I ask you this morning in light of what we looked at, la or this evening, in light of what we looked at last night with John 3.16. You got it already. Free will, choice, faith. It seems like all of us are breathing, amen? 
And if we accept what he's been given to us, how long will the light stay on for? But has he given us the ability to turn it off if we should so choose? But that is a much different picture than what has many times been communicated by our, our beloved religion that we belong to. And I'm not speaking denomination, I'm speaking Christianity. Tonight I would like to put three, hmm, maybe, there we go, three columns on the board tonight. And we're going to, I'm going to need your help. We're going to make three separate lists. Now the first list, I want you to be honest. Now I'm not going to argue with anything you say. This is your list, whether I agree with it or not, which could be dangerous. Tonight, I simply want you to make a list for me and go slow so I can write it down. What is God not like this evening? Evil. Mean. Us. Selfish. Judgmental. Hold on. I write in tongues. <laughs> Next. Any others? Double-minded? Double okay, there's, there's some thinking behind that. Okay. George, just one cross. Stingy. Someone said something and I lost it though. Oh, Stingy's there twice. Unforgiving. Deceiving. Greedy. Wrong. Hostile. Vengeful. I'm not arguing. This is your list. Controlling. Well, I thought God was in control. Never mind. Next. Arbitrary. Let's do three more. Arbitrary. Forgetful. Yes. Un. Un. Uncompassionate. Limited, hard-hearted, hard well, that's more. Anything else? Condemning, yeah, we've got that one. I know you can't read it, but it's in there, like Prego. Anything else? One more. Negative, good, I like that. Okay, now, tell me, reach deep into everything you've learned, tell me tonight what God is like. Love. Understanding. Understanding. 
limitless, there was a little voice in the back. Giving. You're just trying to start a fight. What was that? Eternal. Kind. Creative. What is God like? What? What? You said it's your list. Unchanging. Patient. Extravagant. Beautiful. All no om now looking at that omnipresent omnipotent Thank you. That was there, I just misspelt it. Omniscient All those ominous words. Just thank you. Anything else? Forgiving? What? Slick. He's a slickster. Awesome. Long suffering. Someone said long suffering. Personal. Merciful. Musical. Anything else? Humorous. Creative's on there. Humorous. Humorous. Humble. How many times have I said one more? That's like we're just about to close. How many times can you say that in one sermon? Faithful. I like that one. Sociable. Okay, the door of the ark is closing. And the list is exhaustless. Now, in the third category tonight, I want you to imagine with me that for 24 hours, the God of this universe is going to be anything you want him to be. Cart. Blanche, you just say it, and he's going to be this way. Everything that is in the middle is the right. No. What? Not what God is. Not what God isn't. What do you want God to be like? Physical. Hold on. Tangible. Other-centered. Visible. Audible. What? Safe? 
Oh, I like you guys. What else? Seeable, visible, yeah. Active. Present. That's okay. In us. Wish granting. That's two words, but I'll put a hyphen in there. Aww. Huggable. No, that was genuine. Huggable. I like that. Huggable. Okay, visible. Yeah, just see his face. What else? Healing. Be a healer. To be audible. Yes. Protector. A bodyguard. Yes. Protector. Creator. Creative. What is that? Masculine. Master. Never mind. Next. What do you want to do? I got to steer clear of some of the things that pop into my head. Feminine. It's your list. Feminine. Thank you. A lover. A teacher. Oh, I like you guys. A friend. Comforting. What? A ruler. Funny? A buddy. Buddy. A revealer. Funny. Always. Savior. Lord. A provider. Understanding. Counselor. Anything else? A parent. Explanatory. I think that's a word. How did words come into existence anyway, right? Someone had to use them the first time somewhere. Anything else? Neighbor. Okay, really, one more. House guest. Slash roommate. They said it. I was just allowing for two. Okay, now I want you to look very closely at these three lists. And I know my handwriting is horrific, okay? I'm thankful that that's not necessary in order to be a Christian. Three things up here, three lists. Is there a difference between the first list and the second list? Is there a difference between the first list and the third list? Is there a difference between the second list and the third list? There sure is, but it's very subtle. It is so subtle that it's easy to miss, but it is a huge difference. See if you can see it. Is there a difference between the second column and the third? Okay, one of them's more personal. Jesus is in the third column. Jesus is in the third column. Okay, maybe. What else? What else? What other differences do you see? Ah, you could look at it that way. It could be more about us. One's more physical. 
Maybe. Maybe one's more tangible. Yeah, I don't think either. Well, we need to be careful. Let me ask you this. When you created that second list there, what part of you were you using? This is your headspace. I mean, who in the world uses even that? And I'm not picking on this because I was hoping one of these words would come out. Who in the world uses in your present vernacular the phrase, the, the term long-suffering? When's the last time you said, oh, that dude is long-suffering. I love him. <laughs> we don't talk like that anymore. One time I was doing this for young people. And one person said, righteous. Now, they use that term in the 70s. That cat is righteous. But do we really use that anymore? What part of you are you using when you create that second list? It's your head. It's everything you've ever been taught. But when you create the third list, what part of you are you using? Your heart, aren't you? And is there a difference between a cerebral encounter and experience with God alone and experience him not just in your head, but also in a heart level. Is there a difference between those two? Yes. Now remember, if there is a counterfeit of something, the difference between the counterfeit and the genuine, is it an obvious difference or is it subtle? It's very subtle. So much so that many people would say there is no difference between the two. To most people, that's what makes it a good counterfeit. Are you with me? I am convinced this evening that the God of this universe is seeking to draw us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But many of us have been deceived into what that light really is. Is the light that God is drawing us into, is it the second category or is it the third I would suggest to you that even the demons know the second and they tremble. But Jesus said in Rome, no, Paul said in Romans, Jesus said in Luke 24, Paul said in Romans chapter 10 verse 10, with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Jesus in Luke 24 said, oh you slow of heart to believe. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, Paul said, God, the God who called light out of darkness is shining in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Look at some of these verses. Look at Matthew 23, 25 through 26. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of robberies, self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean inside the cup of the dish so that the outside may be clean also. It is possible to have a knowledge of God in your head and still have the outside of the cup dirty. Have you met those people? Is that possible? But is it possible to encounter God and to believe in him on the level of the third category without it radically changing your life? You cannot believe that he is in the third cat like with a third category list. 
Some of you say, well, Herb, I don't know about that. Well, that's the big debate. That's the big debate. Is God, if we were to see God today, I ask you this. Would he match up with everything we've been told about him? No. No, you're assuming that everything you've ever been told about God is correct. And is it? No. Would he match up with everything you've ever been told about him or would you be a little surprised? Would there be some things that say, oh, would there be an aha experience? Yeah. But if you were to encounter God, would in that moment you sense as you behold his beauty that for the first time in your life you are truly encountering what you have always been looking for? That in your heart you feel like you were made for this? That in your heart you would realize in this moment he is truly exactly what you've always wanted. Are you hearing me tonight? I told you once before that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And so I know something about us as a people. And I refer to myself in this, not just someone else. But for too long... We have been content to reach people only in the second category. And God is calling us to do a heart work. God is calling us to reach people on a different level. Do you sense it? Those of you who have tasted him in the third category, is it different than just experiencing him in your head? Faith is much more than just mental assent to a bunch of facts. Faith is when the heart is moved by the truth of what he is. Tonight, John 8, read it with me. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and he began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in what? Adultery. Having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Well, what a coincidence. They just happened to be walking down the road and stick their head in the door at the right time. Where's the dude? Teacher, in the law of Moses, interesting, who are they quoting? The prophet. Do I need to expound on that? Or do you understand my point so far? Do we do that? Do we do that? Do we have a Moses among us? Yeah, and do we sometimes, well, so-and-so says, anyone ever done that before? Anyone ever been guilty of doing that to someone else? It's interesting what company we find ourselves in when we do this. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. And honestly, did the law of Moses command that? We're going to talk more about that later this week, tomorrow night, I think. Did the law of Moses command them to stone her? Yeah. Yes. 
Yes. What then do you say? According to the second category, what should have happened? Stoned. They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger he wrote on the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Did he break the law? No. I'm telling you, the dude was slick. Again, he stooped and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the... Yeah, because they're usually smarter. The younger ones, it took longer for them to catch on. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. Now let me ask you, up until this point in her life, which category had this woman only encountered God in? She was, she was a Jewish woman. She was raised in a Jewish culture. Had she been given list number one or list number two? Maybe a mixture. But she had heard at least about number two. She had a little bit of her own number one mixed in. But according to what she knew to be true, and honestly what was true, what did she expect the next thing to happen to be? She was trembling, scared for her life. And then Jesus says to her, I do not, what? Condemn you. I don't condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. I don't think we understand what Jesus was really doing there. The law of Moses commanded her to be what? And what was Jesus doing? Letting her off the hook. Letting her. So, by the letter of the law, I'm sorry. She didn't get stoned. We need, yeah, I already asked, what about the dude? We need wisdom, brothers and sisters. We need wisdom. Because sometimes it looks like to me here that the spirit of the law contradicts the letter of the law. Are you hearing me tonight? Well, that's a good opinion, but I don't know. I don't know if that's really what he's doing here. Oh, it's okay. There's a lot of ways to look at it. Flat out, the woman wasn't stoned. I mean, that's the reality. When the dust settles, the woman was still breathing. And it says, Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, So there's still people around. 
Not her accusers, but are there still people around? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What did he mean by that phrase? The light of the world? What's the opposite of light? Jesus had come to dispel the darkness. What's the darkness? Not sin. Sin is the result of the darkness. When you turn out the lights and when it's dark, what can you not do? See. Jesus came to turn on the lights so we could see who? God. See, if the darkness were sin, what's the opposite of darkness? Light. What's the opposite of sin? Righteousness. Jesus didn't come just to teach us how to obey. He didn't teach us how to do something different than what we were doing. Jesus came as the opposite of the darkness. And what is light, brothers and sisters? When someone sees the light, what do we really mean by that? What is light? The truth. Now, what's the opposite of truth? Lies. So what's the darkness that prevents us from really being able to see God? The lies about God that have pervaded this planet. And Jesus came as the light, the truth to dispel all of those lies. Now this is amazing because he just said to this woman, I did, though everyone else does, and even the law of Moses technically commands you to be stoned, I am standing before you as God himself, and I do not condemn you. And then he turns and he says, I'm the light of the world. What is he saying by that statement? I am, what you're seeing happening here, the way that I'm relating to this woman who was caught even in the very act, this is the truth about what God is like. That produces some issues. Had the woman repented yet? Had she confessed it yet? Had she said a sinner's prayer? And Jesus is letting her off the hook? And she hasn't even asked? Because that's the way he is. John 3.16 says, God so that he what? Gives in hopes that we'll what? But what comes first? The giving of the forgiveness or the believing, the giving. Now, truly, the experience of the forgiveness came after she believed it. Amen? But sometimes I think we are wrong in what we think repentance and faith are really for. Now, I'm not denying our faith and repentance necessary. Yeah. But I'm telling you, my experience with faith and repentance, usually when I'm repenting of something, it's because in my heart of hearts, I am dealing with guilt and I think God is condemning me or okay with me. Which one? Be honest. Which one? Anybody else here ever experienced repentance before? When you're telling God you're sorry, be honest. What are you tempted to think God is doing towards you right then? Condemning you. And the whole reason you're repenting is so that forgiveness will change from, for, for, so that condemnation will change from condemnation to forgiveness. Am I making this up? Or is, and yet this woman hadn't even confessed, repented, believed, accepted, nothing. 
by the technicality of what we say sinners should do. She had done none of these things, and yet Jesus was saying, Lady, I already am not condemning you. Now, some of you once again are saying, well, Herb, does that mean we don't need to repent? We don't need to believe? Yes, repentance once again, faith, confession, all of that is still vital. But brothers and sisters, I think it's important. It accomplishes something other than what we thought it did. It's important for a different reason than what we've assumed. That when you repent, there is no change in the heart of God toward you. You got one or two options then. Either God's condemning you, and no matter how much you repent, there's no change. Or God loves you. No matter how much you sin, that doesn't change. Now, some will say to me, and I, I, it, they will, literally, I'm not making that, you can't make some of this stuff up. Some have said, Herb, don't say that. Don't say what? Don't tell people God loves them no matter what they do. I said, well, isn't it true? They said, yeah, but don't tell anybody. Why? They said, well, because if, we, if you tell people God loves you no matter what you do, they'll feel like they can just go out and do. We're going to talk about that tomorrow night. I think our understanding of things have brought us to a point where we even have to start limiting the gospel. And it's a crime. God wants to radically shake things up and bring us out of darkness into light because this looks like light but do the demons have this and are they in the darkness or in the light the devil knows this stuff and Jesus said yet there is no truth in him that should make us stop and wonder he still doesn't know the truth I remember, I remember one time I was doing this experiment with a group. And over in this column, the, the middle column, they had said, Father. He's the Father God. And then we got over to the third category. And we were making this up. And this little 80-something-year-old lady, lady, she was so precious. She was just downright cute. She raised her hand and she said, she said, I don't mean to be disrespectful. She said, but could we put the word daddy in the third column? Is there a difference between the word father and daddy? Trust me, I know. I know when my kids refer to me as father, it is much different than when they refer to me as papa. Much different. Which one does God want, to, want us to relate to him on? In Hosea 2, the prophecy is given. You can look this up. It's not on your handout. You can look this up when you go home tonight. It's your homework. See what verse? I'm not sure, but if you read the whole chapter, you'll find it. It's not very long. The prophecy is given. There is coming a day when you will no longer call me master, but you shall call me Husband, 
Now, is there a difference between the relationship of a husband and a wife and a slave and a master? Well, there sure should be. Amen. And is it wrong to call Jesus master? No. Is it wrong to call Jesus Lord? Is it wrong to call yourself his slave or servant? No, that's not what we're saying. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand, there is a much deeper and more intimate relationship that God is calling us into. Because the reason a slave or a master does things, the reason a slave obeys, obedience is only ever rooted and grounded for a slave in an egocentric concern to either either be rewarded or escape punishment. But it's all about them. But a spouse, anyone here married? Please tell me a spouse has deeper motives for the things they do for the other. What's their motive in one word? Theoretically. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. It's love. It's love. And you notice in the Gospels how it starts out. I mean, Jesus starts out over here where... uh, We're just an inanimate coin. Remember the woman that lost one of the coins? She searched all over. I mean, we're just a coin. And then we graduate, and a couple stories later, we become a a dumb, stinky sheep. That's better than a coin. At least we're an animal now. We got feelings. Never mind, I can't. (laughs) Some things you should just bail on. Don't say that stuff. Because we're vegetarians. Kinda. Kinda. Then we went from lamb to what? What's next? Slave. Then we went from slave to a prodigal son. Then we went from a prodigal son to sons and daughters of God. And then we moved from children into the... The spouse of God. And I don't think we understand what that means. But who's the only person who is ever permitted to sit on the throne with the king? No children. No friends. No slaves. And no sheep. That's right, Vance. The only person that's allowed to share the throne is who? The queen. It blows my mind that God has done more than just adopted us as children. He has proposed to us and he wants to make us the one race that rebelled. The spouse of God. We don't fathom that yet, do we? But that is much different than second column. That's third column, amen? And each of us are different. I don't know what it's going to take for God to move you from the second column to the third column. But he wants to do it for all of us. Amen? And how many are willing to cooperate? He wants to move us. You see, we don't need to look anymore at any of the story of the woman caught in adultery. You can read those verses later. I want you to look at Romans 2 verse 14. It says, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do, what's that next word? 
instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law or a law to themselves. I want to ask you tonight, why are there atheists in the world? You realize that atheism is largely our fault, correct? See, look at the next verse. Look at Romans 1.19. It says, For that which is known about God is evident to them, made plain to them in their inner consciousness instinctively, because God himself has shown it to them. That word instinctively. We all have a hunch of what God should be like. Amen? And why are there atheists in the world? Because someone has come along and painted a picture of God that is completely contrary to how they think a God of this universe should be. And so what do they opt for? Well, they don't. The next time you bump into an atheist, ask them to describe the God that they don't believe in. And as they give you that list, do you know what you'll find? You don't believe in that God either. We actually have more in common with atheists. The only difference, I'm not saying we should be atheists. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying, be tolerant. They've rejected the lie. They've not embraced the truth. But at least they've rejected the wrong picture of God. Are you hearing me tonight? I mean, some of them are further along than most Christians because some Christians are not only imbibing the wrong picture, but they're screaming it from the rooftops. <laughs> and honestly, most, most atheists, not all, I know it's a blanket statement, but most of them have honestly just been hurt. They don't deserve our censure. They deserve our sympathy and our love and our mercy. Yeah, compassion. But think about it. Does the human being have a sense of what a good God should be like? Yeah. And you like to make the third category negative? But let me ask you, is there anything really bad in that third category? Some of you say, well, it's more egocentric. It's more what we want. God is the desire of our hearts. Isn't he? He is what we've always longed for. Isn't he? Remember what C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself longings for which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for a different world. That's what we're talking about in the third category. See, religion dwells here. And religion has always been for one purpose and one purpose only. To control the masses. God is calling you out of a religious intellectual belief with him into a relational intimacy that takes place on the level of your heart. That's what you were made for in the Garden of Eden. Thank you. Yeah, there you are. It's like, where is she? That's what God's calling us for. Calling us to. Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, He also planted eternity in men's hearts and minds, a divinely implanted sense of a purpose, working through the ages which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. Most of the people that I run into, 
that don't want to have anything to do with God or they're not interested in God, what scares me is the only good news they've ever heard is the second column. And honestly, it doesn't cut it. Because we were made for more than that, amen? We were, it is impersonal. Psalms 50 verse 21. God says, you thought I was just like you. I would propose that also when we make this middle list, there's a little bit of ourselves mingled in with that. That's why when we finally do encounter God, we're surprised a little bit, aren't we? Anybody ever shocked when you actually saw God? Anybody ever encountered new truth before when it comes to God and what he's like and said, wow, wow. Because flat out, we've been wrong about him, haven't we? Can we say that? Can we as a denomination say that? That we've been wrong. Is that okay? Because the only way you can ever be right is if you first admit that you've been wrong. If we don't admit we've made some mistakes, why change anything? Now, don't misunderstand. We have a lot of truth. Amen? Amen. Go back. What is God doing with all of this? Let's look at these. Matt, Mark 7, 20 through 23. Go back to the first page, and we'll finish up with this. It's out of order, but that's okay. He was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the what? The heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Notice out of what? Out of his heart. That's right. It's out of his heart. How many have ever been frustrated with sin in your life that you wanted to get the victory over, but you just kept failing time after time after time after time? Has anyone else besides me ever been in that situation before? Do, do you know why we struggle on that level? Because just believing Saturday's the Sabbath doesn't produce victory. Now, is it important? Because there is a picture of God that is true that you can only see through the lens of Adventist teachings. Amen? Amen. So our teachings are important, but just dealing with our teachings cerebrally doesn't give us any power. Just because you believe that people sleep when they die, that doesn't necessarily change your life. You can go to church on Saturday and still kick your dog. Can't you? Why? And sometimes we're shocked. And we try to hide what we really are like. Anyone ever been in that game? You got people outside the church that really know you. But when you show up on Saturday, you know it's different. Because no matter what we believe about jewelry, we still believe in outward adornment. Maybe that's what it's talking about. 
We have to put up with all of these shenanigans that we go through, I am convinced, because we are still dealing with God on a purely intellectual level, and God is calling for something much different. It doesn't do away with any of this. Is he still omnipresent? Is he still omnipotent? Is he still omniscient? Yes. Is Saturday still the Sabbath? Yes. It doesn't do away with any of that. But he becomes more than just a father. He becomes your daddy. And some are, I can even see it in some of you tonight. You're struggling with that. Remember when Jesus taught us how to pray. We translated into old King James English, our Father which art in heaven. But in the Aramaic, Jesus did not use the formal word for Father. We do in English. But he did not in his language. What he referred to God that day was Papa. Abba. Papa, Daddy. What a different relationship that would be, amen? 1 Samuel 16, 7. God sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward what? But the Lord looks at the heart. How many are thankful for that tonight? That's where he's aiming. When we realize that, I think that's where we'll aim too. Some will say, well, don't they, doesn't the outward appearance matter? I hope not. <laughs> I'm sure it does on some level in some way. But the outside of the cup is only going to be clean if the inside is first. And that's where God's really concerned. Tonight, I'm going to ask you for a decision. Some of us have had an exterior focus. We've had an, a cerebral focus. We've experienced God on the level of rules and doctrines. I'm not saying those are wrong, but that's just been our experience. And I think if we're all honest tonight, we'll admit that when we're laying in our beds at night, and the hustle and bustle of the day has come to an end. We're laying there staring at our ceilings. Even though we have mentally assented to those 28 beautiful beliefs, sometimes in our heart we feel like something's still missing. Anyone ever been in the bed feeling that way before? When Jesus offered it to the woman at the well, it was initially uncomfortable, was it not? When Jesus told the man at the pool of Bethesda to get up and walk, there were some immediate problems that were set in motion by that. Understand that the initial road may not be easier. But in the long run, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. How many of us are tired of it being hard? 
Wouldn't it be nice if it was a little easier? And the temptation to make it easier has always been to lower the standard, hasn't it? I don't think that's the solution. Jesus said, come, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That's what makes it easier, doesn't it? Because he who saw him saw the... When you see God as he truly is, it radically changes your walk with him from the inside out. And that which was once hard, there we say it, in the light of his love becomes easy. You say, really? And I quote, every duty will become a, do you know the statement? A delight. And every sacrifice will become a, do you know the statement? A pleasure. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it just be easier? It wouldn't be nice if it was just easier to do what's right than do what's wrong. How many would think that's right? That would be nice. Some say, well, Herb, I have a sinful nature. I know, I know all those theological seminary answers. In my heart of hearts, I am the most self-centered, egocentric, selfish person you will ever encounter if you knew me as I really am. I was raised an only child, and my wife thinks that is nine-tenths of my problem. <laughs> the other tenth is that she thinks I was never spanked enough. And she's probably right. But I tell you what, when the love flows between my wife and I, it's not so hard to think of her instead of myself. It actually becomes a pleasure, doesn't it? Many of us have been trying to serve God and worship Him devoid of really encountering His love. Because you know that love, love, love stuff? That's just weak. We've been deceived on many things, but this is probably the greatest. A car won't go up the mountain without an engine in it. Many of us have taken the engine out and we're trying to get behind it and push it ourselves. It's very difficult that way. God is inviting each one of us into a deeper encounter with his love and I don't know what that will look like for you. But I know he does and I know he's willing to lead you into that. The decision he's asking for you tonight is would you just please be willing it's a matter of surrender. Are you willing to encounter a new way to be an Adventist? A new way. We don't have to throw out Adventism, amen? amen. Too many are making that mistake. But it's a new way to be an Adventist. You'll still go to church on the same day. but you won't fight as much on the way. <laughs> You'll enjoy doing it. Not tomorrow night. Tomorrow night we're going to lay a foundation, but the two nights after that, we have a two-part talk called A Message of Mercy. 
The Adventist message was to be the last message of mercy to be given to this planet. Amen. A message of what? And when you take that one statement and begin to look at our beliefs, how is this a revelation of God's mercy? All of a sudden, all of our beliefs take on a strange new hue. So we're in for something big this week if you'll follow God through it. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, tonight as we close, I want to thank you for what you're doing in each one of our lives. Lord, I also want to thank you tonight for your patience with each one of us. We've been doing what we believed was right, but Father, the honest truth is that many of us have really been living right there in that second column. And biblically, it's correct. There's nothing wrong with the letter of what's in that second column, but Father, that third column is of a wholly different spirit. Father, we're tired of only serving you with our minds. Father, we want you in our hearts. So God, please, whatever it takes, the remainder of this week, would you give us a deeper glimpse into what you are, into what you're like, into what you think and feel towards us? Father, would you give us not an intellectual encounter with your love but God would you give us something very intimate with you and your love on the level of our heart please that's what we want God and we only want it because you put the desire for it there so we know you want it even more than we do so God whatever the cost may this be paramount to each of us in your precious name we pray amen